Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. Marcus with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. Also, Arrow, if you're looking for a great place for salespeople to sell more stuff, check out heyarrow.com and look at their great products they have there. Sean Hackett is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the marketplace. And Sean, here we are, it's Thursday, and uh, we had a pretty good cold snap kind of roll through the Midwest and the uh, you know the high plains and those kind of things. And I guess as you take a look at this uh, this cold snap that we've seen, um, this morning I woke up, it was about 30 degrees, 28 degrees, something like that. I had about three inches of snow yesterday. As you take a look at this uh, storm that we had come through here, um, which it's not uncommon for us to have snow this time of year, but uh, the velocity of the storm seemed like it was a little bit stronger than than it should have been um when you look at the spring-like thunderstorms tornadoes those kind of things that rolled through the various parts of oklahoma and kansas and those kind of things and then you know we roll into blizzard-like conditions in the panhandle of nebraska wyoming so on and so forth i guess is this a precursor to what you've been talking about it is it's part of the amplified gesturing that we've been talking about that you get these kinds of rapidly changing weather systems and rapidly changing conditions um really within a 24-hour period it's 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 the it's the uh the leading edge of this and the one thing we're really looking we're starting to see show up is something that we've talked about before it's called a stratospheric warming event um we talked about it in our podcast earlier this week and that's when the stratosphere over the arctic warms and that warm air or high pressure system, if it is able to connect with the lower air mass and it, it has the potential to weaken the polar vortex and then destabilize it. And that's how you get your polar vortex kind of weather patterns. And so if you remember last year, we had we detected one of these um, events in late December, early January, and then we projected we might see a polar vortex and the first half of February, as you know. Right. Um, so if we're correct that we established a Strasburg warming event by the end of the month, which it looks like we will, that would project the potential for a polar vortex event within 30 days. Um, so it's setting up, Casey, that we're, that November could be, could start winter early with a bang. 
um, kind of like we've been projecting. And so we're starting to see the atmosphere kind of give us the telltale signs that, you know, we, we could be looking for an explosively, an explosive start to the winter here in November. So we're going to keep an eye on that. And if it kind of, kind of really continues to verify and confirm it, uh, I, I think we'll look back and see that this cold weather uh, blizzard kind of a situation out West was the, was the early signs that that was coming. So well, that's uh, that's good news, Sean. Uh, I guess <laughs> I guess if you but I take, did, but, I, but, I, but I think the warm weather is coming next July. Oh, well, there, there you go. <laughs> it all comes out in the wash, right? <laughs> all right. So let's take a take a look at that. Okay, so we've talked about the natural gas situation, the propane situation, those kind of things. If you have a catalyst event like this that that just kind of brings this this immediate cold snap in, especially um, talking about a polar vortex where you're talking some really cold temperatures, really you know a large amount of snow, those kind of things. What kind of situation do you think that's going to put us in uh, this early in, in the winter? Uh, well, it's not even winter yet. This early uh, cold snap. I mean, what's that going to do to what we already have as as a as a very fledgling supply of of natural gas out there? Well, if you look where natural gas supplies um, are right now versus where they were a year ago or where they were two years ago, I mean, we are you know, um, I think something like twenty percent or 50, fifteen and twenty percent below what we were last year. So if you if we start the winter, Casey, a month earlier with these kind of cold temperatures, that means we get an extra month of drawdown that we would normally expect to see. Um, and then you get into December and January, you know, you get into a, a persistent cold pattern. It means we're going to run out of natural gas, meaning that there's just not going to be enough supply to 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 handle that the unless people take their keep their homes at 52 degrees or 62 degrees instead of 70, you know, there's right. going to have to be some demand rationing going on here. Remember in Europe and in Asia, they're averaging 30 to $35 uh, for us equivalent natural gas. Um, you know, so our five and a half is a steal <laughs> compared right. to what yeah. they're looking at. Although for us, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, we're, we're you know, some of the highest prices we've seen in quite a long time. So I guess what I'm getting at, I don't think current prices are going to ration demand, which means we have to really move this market up a lot more in order to get people to make changes in their behavior so we don't run out. I mean, obviously we can't run out. So it's going to be a wild situation. And I think the market has to do it at the front end load the price case. I mean, they have to get this price up, you know, you can't wait until we run out in, in March. You, you have to like, all right, we could run out. So let's goose these prices and, you know, into December and make sure that we make people change their mind about what they want to do. The other thing though, and we, and we worry about this. Remember in Texas, a lot of the, the uh, wellheads froze and the natural gas production stopped because they didn't winterize the wellheads to handle temperatures that were, that were that cold. I am not aware that they actually did, made any major changes to that policy. So if we get these kinds of polar vortex events, not only is the demand for heating going to go up, but we're going to lose production. You know, we're going to have some freeze outs, they call it. And, and that's going to add, you know, that's going to exacerbate the problem of the supply and the drawdown. So it, it's, um, it's not a, um, it's not a good picture. We, you know, we, you don't want to be going into a cold winter 
with insufficient energy supplies, but it looks like whether we like it or not, that's where, that's, that's where we are at right now. So yeah. right on. All right. So here we are going through, um, harvest as we're, as we look at it right now, we've got, you know, obviously kind of in the, the middle of it, you know, right, right in the, right in the middle of harvest across the entire corn belt. And I guess, as you take a look at these weather patterns that you're looking at and moving into November, what kind of effect could that have on the overall, um, function of the market, I guess, as you take a look at the, you know, some of the struggles that might come from some early winter weather. Well, if we get some really, you know, serious winter weather in November and, you know, heavy snows in the Midwest, you know, I'm worried about that last 20% harvest, you know, that's supposed to get done in November. I'm worried about that, Casey. Um, you know, it, it, we may not be able to get to it. Uh, or if we, if we do get to it, it could be really, really delayed. Um, and that could be one of the catalysts that gets, that sets the harvest low. You know, we're talking about a harvest low here um, in October, but I'm really worried about not being able to get that last part of the crop out. In fact, it might have to be, it, it, they may have to keep it there all winter long and try to get it in the spring. I mean, you know, sometimes it happens. So it, I think that could be a bullish catalyst for grains if we can't get that last 10, 15% uh, harvested and it's sitting in the field. It's going to tighten things up a lot um, because, you know, while it'll be on the balance sheet as being there, it's not available. <laughs> right. It's not available. Yeah. So, so that's something to, to pay attention to and could be a, a, an initial bullish trigger to set the low and start getting the grain markets, um, you know, turning to the upside here after a, you know, pretty difficult period here over the last two to four weeks. Okay. Let's jump over and talk about cotton a little bit. Cotton's had a, a very strong run. We've seen some some good some good movements there even after the uh the report that came out on tuesday and what that looked like so cotton is uh still bouncing around up there and it's a very very strong price so i guess as you look at cotton what's your thoughts there well we had we had a, a what's called a a classic blow-off top casey we went from 90 cents to like a dollar 15 in just straight up um blow off top fashion that usually sets a high for a while when you put that kind of a trade on it was all driven by demand from china coming out of nowhere shocking the market when we had the least amount of physical supply available um but i have to believe uh hey the chinese aren't going to continue to buy like that harvest is starting to kick in the crop um looks good and i just i just think that we've just you know that market has priced it all in right now and i'm worried about Already prices are down 10 cents from the highs already. Um, so I just think you know, there's a, as we talked about last time or last week, you know, there's a selling opportunity here for cotton producers to lock in a good price uh, now. And, and I would even argue for next year, that the prices look pretty attractive. So um, I kind of think, I kind of think we made the top for a while here in cotton. And, and uh, um, I just don't see the justification you know, going forward as harvest really kicks in and the seasons really start to turn down into the end of the year, it's really hard to see the market making any more headway beyond what it already did. Um, I just think it's time for the market to give back and and get back into some uh, a, you know, a better a better price level for what the true fundamentals really are. I think. Yeah. So. Okay. So you're getting ready to make your big trip down to Brazil to take a take a look at what's going on in the coffee market. Um, talk about that a little bit and and some of the stuff you're going to be looking for while you're down there. Leave Wednesday. I'll be there for uh, eight days um, in the the core central 
Brazil coffee areas where they grow the majority of all the Arabica coffee. There's three things we're going to be looking for. First of all, we want to look for how many flowerings showed up versus normal. You know, we had the drought, we had the double frost. You know, how much lower are the flowers, um, you know, prevalence than they would normally be? That's the first thing. The second thing is, what's the condition of the trees? What's the conditioning of the flowers? Meaning, can these trees take the flowers that did show up and bring it to uh, to uh, set to then put out the energy to develop a cherry that develops a coffee bean? These trees are probably as weak as they've ever been. It is our view that a lot of these, it's not going to be able to hold this entire flowering. You're going to see it abort a lot of these flowerings just from a lack of energy. The third thing we're going to be looking for, we're going to be going in to storage locations around this area to see how much coffee is actually sitting in storage houses versus what would normally be expected. This is a function of last year's crop, Casey. And, okay. you know, if we see that, you know, normally this pl- this storage silly would be totally full and it's only half full, that's going to tell us, what, you know, the nature of last year's crop and tell you how much we really have going forward. So we're going to try to get a good benchmark for, for those three metrics so that we can correctly calibrate what is the true supply-demand situation going forward and what does the coffee market actually have to do here in terms of rationing demand to get through it. And so we hope to be able to come back from this trip you know, with some, some clarity on those three metrics that is really hard to know unless you're actually there on the ground with the boots taking a look at it for yourself. So. Right on. Well, it looks like it's going to be a a good trip for you, and uh, you know, I hope you have a. I guess when you take a look at that, and you're and you're kind of come back, how how much more do you think that's going to swing? I mean, one way or the other for you. I mean, you feel like what your what your the reports you have are are pretty accurate, and then you're just you're going to see what's down there and kind of double check that, or do you feel like this is there's some there's some things going on there that you need to pay closer attention to? Well, I mean. You know, I have a baseline. I have my own baseline of what I think is the truth, right? Right. Um, and so I want to go down there and make sure that my baseline, um, you know, where, where, what's the truth versus my baseline? Have I overestimated, underestimated? Did I get it about right? I kind of want to have, I want to try to calibrate. You know, I don't want to go there with a bias. I want to go there saying, this is what I think. And, then, and, the, and the, the most important thing is, what is the truth, right? Yep. I suspect things are going to be worse in my baseline, because I've tried to be pretty conservative. I always try to be conservative with everything I do. I think my baseline is going to improve to conserve. That means that production is going to be lower than I'm expecting and that the flowering is going to be worse than ex- I, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to walk away feeling that my baseline is too conservative and that I need to be more aggressive on how tight the situation is. I may be wrong about that, but that's my suspicion. Um, Cause I, I did put a lot of, factor of safety in there because i always try to make sure that if i'm really bullish in market even if i'm conservative then if i happen to if it's more bullish than i thought it only makes it my forecast that much stronger if you know what i'm trying to say yep. um yep and so so that's really what uh you know what i'm going to be trying to do and then once i have what i think is a good solid understanding of it then obviously i'll report that back to uh you know our subscribers and and lay it out, and, 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 and whatever changes we need to make, we'll make them, you know. Right on, right on. Well, Sean, I 
appreciate you being on the podcast. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is that you're doing, um, what's the best way to do that? Uh, our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. Lots and lots of different uh, interviews and download papers and things to look at to see if how we look at things and how we do things might be of value to your listeners. Right on. And Sean, make sure you guys go and check out that website. I'm sure Sean will be updating with what he's finding down in Brazil on the websites as well as uh, he'll be putting out some reports and those kind of things. So make sure you go to his website and subscribe to what you got there. So Sean, safe travels, man, and thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Casey. I look forward to it. And, yeah, and what we're going to try to is put it on the LinkedIn and on Twitter. We'll try to put some 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 posts along the way so we kind of at least give somebody and I, you know, give everyone a little bit play by play of what we're seeing. Right so. on, right on. Good deal. Well, I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go over to the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and subscribe and like over there. You can see uh, I post. The videos that we do here in the podcast uh, with Sean and I and some various other stuff over there as well. So check that out. Also go to uh, your favorite podcasting platform and uh, give me five stars. That way it uh, moves me up in the uh, in the rankings there and more people can uh, see what's going on there. So if you like what you see here, go uh, and hear here. Go uh, go to those podcasting places and give me a review. I would greatly appreciate that. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go with some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful, competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving on